Welcome to the Free Retiree Show. My name is Lee Michael Murphy. I've been in wealth management for the last 10 years right in the heart of the Silicon Valley. People have always asked me, how do I achieve financial independence? And while the financial world wants you to believe it's as simple as investing your money, I'm here to tell you it's a small piece of the puzzle. I've seen four consistent factors in the people that have achieved financial independence. One, they excel in their career. Two, they manage their money properly. Three, they're able to avoid devastating financial mistakes. They can see through the BS. And lastly, they understand they need to learn from the best, the people that have achieved success in their career and their finances. Join us on our journey as we learn how to become free retirees. Welcome into the Free Retiree Show. I'm your host, wealth manager, Lee Michael Murphy, and I'm alongside Silicon Valley veteran and interview coach, Sergio Patterson. What is up, everyone? For today's episode, we are going to be talking about what you need to do to land a super competitive job role. And we'll also be talking about the passion that you need to take in your job and make sure that you're not just working for the money, but you also have purpose in your life. So for today's episode, we got a great interview. We're going to be talking with John Marty. John is a senior product manager at Amazon. He's the founder of the 1B Project, which is a nonprofit that's used to help people find meaning in their lives. He is a top LinkedIn voice with over 250,000 followers globally. He has a top 20 YouTube channel that is outlining the tactics and strategies needed to land high-paying jobs at tech companies. And he's the host of the Mindset Reset podcast, where he interviews some of the world's foremost thought leaders on the topics of mindset and the power it can have on transforming your life. And Serge, just to let you know, John has one of the most amazing stories that I've ever heard. So check this out. He spent 10 years working at a company called Access Audio, where he was the CEO and owner. And what that company did is they were an electronics company and they had multi-million dollars in sales. He sold that company in 2012. Then he used that money to create an internet of things company that failed. So at age 31, he was broke. He was penniless. He had a baby on the way. So Serge, what are you thinking about that? Yeah, it's just terrifying to know you have a baby on the way and you can't do what you're expected to do, right? Is provide. I think it's scary and his journey is just amazing. I'm excited to bring him on. Yeah. I mean, in this journey, when he's at Best Buy's getting $12 an hour, he put out 150 resumes, got nothing back. He had the tenacity to go back to school, got his MBA at the University of Colorado, finished up a six-month course in software development. And then he was able to get a job at American Express. He was there for a couple of years. And then he was able to get basically an offer from Amazon in 2017 because of his LinkedIn profile. And folks, big thing to know about this, he didn't put out his job application. He didn't put out a resume. They came to him because of his brand. So this is going to be an amazing episode. We're going to learn a lot from this. If you haven't done so yet, make sure you like our show, share us. If you have questions for myself or Sergio or Matt, make sure you send them to ask at thefreeretiree.com. We're going to take a quick break, but when we're back, we're going to be sitting down with John Marty. Welcome back into the Free Retiree Show. We're sitting down with John Marty. 
John, very happy to have you on the show. Let's start off talking about your amazing story. You're the former CEO of a successful company, successful entrepreneur, and then you're broken penniless. You're starting all over again and you're working at, I guess what you might say, a regular job, Best Buys. Were you a manager there or were you just like, no. okay. So you came in there, you're just a regular employee ringing people up. How did you interact with all the people? Coming from that you know, high level owner role, now you're in Best Buys. Is it difficult to interact with these people? Like you didn't have any feeling like, man, I know more than these people because like I've actually run a multi-million dollar company. You didn't have that. No, not at all. That's amazing, man. You're a unique human being because that drop that ego is insane. Well, I mean, I had to, right? I had to literally to mentally survive because see, when I lost everything, that was when the ego was visible for me for the first time, right? So imagine 31 years old, you never even understood what ego was. It was just subconscious. It was just hidden behind the scenes. Then when I lost all of my money, I started to be like, holy shit, who am I without my things? And then my world came crashing down, right? My identity came crashing down. John is no longer an entrepreneur. John can no longer go to a barbecue and say he's the founder. John goes to a barbecue and says he is friggin' unemployed. Was that part of your identity? Like I'm the business owner? Did you feel like that was who you Dude. are? Ego central, bro. I had an $8,000 watch. 8,000? Oh, that I would flash around, dude. I was so proud of it, dude. It was an extension of my ego. It took me years after the fact to sell that watch. I had so much of an attachment to material things. Wow. And my mindset was so messed up that I couldn't sell it. I couldn't let it go. And dude, you know, when I let go of all that stuff, I let go of it all. And I said, you know, John is just John. John can be John without the things. And man, that was pivotal for me, man. And like, I am so appreciative of the experiences of failure that led me to my new mindset. So appreciative. Cause you know, today I wouldn't have that perspective, man, if that didn't happen. It's amazing that you went through that. You're a strong human being, man. I'm telling you, like people I work with 90% of the time, they cannot move forward. So go work at Best Buys or any job, even half as valuable as the high prestigious job that they ran or where they were employed at, they can't do it. So they just sit on their butt and do nothing and they grieve in their misery and that's it. But from a strategic perspective, think about the corporate animal and what winds up happening when you take that lesser job. Well, look at how other people are viewing you. They're viewing you through the egoic lens as well, right? Yep. They took less, they're worth less. Yeah. Well, no, 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 I'm not worth less. I'm worth an infinite amount. Don't judge me by what I get paid. So I just kind of had to keep that mindset going of like, okay, no problem. I'm here right now. No big deal. I'm going to figure it out. But while I'm here, I'm going to enjoy being here. And it's weird. It's weird. It's hard for me to even explain because while I was there, I actually really enjoyed it. That's amazing. That's I still amazing, talk man. to, and I'm friends with People I worked at Best Buy with, dude. Yeah. $12 an hour. I could have been like, fuck all that. <laughs> fuck this. That's not me. But no, man. All those people are trying to come up too, right? Yeah. All those people are trying to figure out their lives too. So I can't judge the situation that I'm in. 100%, man. John, for context, Lee and I both worked at Enterprise Rent-A-Car out of college. Yeah. yeah. Making 12 bucks an hour. And I think yeah. I still have some of my best friends are from there. I think you just build, there's something. There's that camaraderie. 
Started from the bottom, We're all just grinding, like making nothing. There's something about that. We talk so much crap about that job because we're like, oh, it was awful. We had people yelling at us, had our college (laughs) degrees, getting paid $12. But think about how it changed us into like just realistic, being grateful for where we're at. From that point forward, so there's a lot of people that they go to college, they go to these prestigious universities. They're expecting Amazon, Apple, Google right out the bat. And that's their life. They expect nothing less than that. So for guys like Sergio and I, like we got out of college during 2008, there was no jobs. No one was hiring. We had to go wash cars in our suits and ties. And honestly, I think we both hated it. But Oh yeah, I was dead inside. We, we were for a little while, but then it made us so grateful for everything after that. And then also those jobs, that hustler mentality, those are the things that make you not only grateful, but help you survive during the roughest times where the other people that never worked those customer service jobs. I've seen a pattern. These people that go from the prestigious university to the great jobs, and then when the shit hits the fan, they can't rally. They can't recover. They sit on their butts, and they feel miserable about themselves. So I think it's really important. If like, I have kids, I'm going to make sure they work a customer service job at Enterprise or Best Buy because it really yeah. does put everything in perspective. It does, man. I totally agree. Those failures, yeah, I coach a lot of people who are going through really rough times. And they're like, man, you know, it sucks. It's terrible. I'm like, this is a blessing. This is your story. Without this, it's not the same. You don't have the perspective. You should be so grateful that this is happening. And it's so weird when people hear that because they don't get it yet. They haven't gotten through it yet to look back and realize how important that piece of their journey was. So- you're at Best Buy and you're like, hey, I have to make money, right? Not because it's going to bring me happiness because I know that's not the answer, but I know it is the tool to give me some financial freedom. You start doing your resumes. What was that like after you're getting rejection after rejection? Like what sort of place were you in mentally and how did you address the failure? What did you do to land your job eventually? The one thing that I did that a lot of people do at any level in their career is they believe in the mental model of showcasing themselves as a well-rounded individual is going to get them jobs. It's an idea that's propagated in college and our younger years in school. We need to be well-rounded, right? That's what the education system does. Uh But really, corporate wants specialists. And so what I was doing at that time was I was saying, I can do the sales. I can do the customer service. I've been a CEO, right? Like I can do all this stuff. Just plug me in. And I kept saying to myself, well, why can't anybody recognize my value? I can do so much, right? I literally clean the shitters. I'll do whatever it takes. And nobody would give me a shot. It was really tough, man. Facing so much rejection, but also trying to maintain a mindset of gratitude. It, was, it definitely was really hard. But as soon as I put a stake in the ground and I said, okay, I know that I'm multifaceted just like everybody else. But I recognize that there's a game being played and I'm going to play it. It's not John. I separated the identity, right? It's not John. I'm just playing a game. The game wants me to showcase myself as a specialist. Okay, fine. I'm going to showcase myself as a specialist. I'm all these things. I'm a mountain biker. I'm a skier. I could do sales. I can do this. Like I'll work super hard. I don't need to get into that narrative. All they want to hear is, can you deliver for this specific job title? Great. Soon as I started doing that, man. That's when the wheels started turning. 
Amazon is where you were at for the last four years, but your first yeah. role was at American Express? First role is American Express. So what wound up happening is, so my hypothesis was product. I need to get into products. Products can get me paid. And it's also going to be aligned with my skills. So I said, what do I need to do to get there? So I started writing it down. I was like, okay, I think I need an MBA. Because it seems like a lot of people who work at these top companies have MBAs. Okay, mm -hmm. let me do that. So I went and got an MBA. And then I said, okay, well, it seems like a lot of these people have tech backgrounds. So let me go through the struggle of going to software development school. By the way, that is the last thing. If you were to map out my skill sets of where I would be good at or not, writing code is at the absolute bottom. Like accounting <laughs> and writing code are like at the bottom. But <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. And I, I said to myself, look, dude, this is going to suck. And I freaking hated it. But I was like, okay, let me struggle through this because I can say in my narrative that I'm a former founder, MBA with some tech. I think that's going to lead me into tech. So I did those things. I was doing the MBA. I did my last year of my MBA concurrently with software development school while I was also working at Best Buy. And nobody in my MBA knew I was working at Best Buy. I just, I didn't talk about it. I just kept it to myself and I did those things. And while I was in the software development school, there's a number of companies that wind up showing up. And one of them was American Express. I showed up with my tie and shit. I was like, <laughs> here's my resume. You know, I've been a former CEO and I did the narrative with an MBA and a thing. And they're like, we'd love to have you as a product manager. I'm like, all right, hell yeah. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in, I'm in. Because my hypothesis too was don't work for a small company. Don't do it. Don't do it. You need a logo. You got no logos on your resume. You got no fortune hundreds, nothing. A small company is not a stepping stone for me at that point. I needed a large brand lever on my resume. And that was the lever, man. I was at American Express for two years. I gave a talk during my software development school about LinkedIn and the power of LinkedIn. And I recall feeling really nervous about it. There's 25 kids in there and they're like, this guy, what does he know? You know, mm -hmm. what does he know? About or like, what's this? LinkedIn? <laughs> what the fuck is LinkedIn? Right. Cause that's back in 2015, yeah. right? They're like, what is LinkedIn? All this stuff. I'm like, this is the future. If you want to be found, you need to be on LinkedIn. You need to optimize the shit out of your profile. Like this is game changing. And I did that, man. I spent hours and hours and hours crafting, recrafting, AB testing. I started writing content. Guess what? Amazon showed up at my door, right? I didn't go to their door. They came to me. Because you had such an amazing LinkedIn profile. They, they came to me, dude. Wow. That's amazing. Gosh. The power of LinkedIn. Huge, huge, man. I tell people all the time on LinkedIn, like LinkedIn literally changed my life. And it can change wow. anyone's life because what it allows you to do is change the narrative. You can put yourself out to a global audience and people are searching. It's the world's largest search engine for recruiters. Why would I not be spending all of my time on that experience? Yeah, no, that's a great point. Going back to school, you're going to get your MBA. You're also doing software school. We've gotten mixed opinions on people going back to get their MBA. We've had people on here that are like, oh, it's a good decision. And we've also had people that are like, don't do it. Like, what is your opinion on that? I'll say this about education. I think education is something we should be doing for ourselves for free well after school has ended well after we have graduated from high school or college, we should be in a constant mindset of educating ourselves, reading, consuming, all of those things. As you're educating yourself, it allows you to spur creativity because what happens in our day jobs is we do the same silo every day, right? It's groupthink city. And when you read a book, any book, it doesn't matter. Just start reading a book for God's sake. 
And you go, wow, this is a really interesting idea. It's something that like is not part of my day job and it's just spurring creativity and ideas, right? It's making you think differently. Something that's been like standing out to me is in your whole journey, you've been intentional every step of the way. Very intentional, man. Where does that come from? Because I think being intentional is so important, especially for young people who are probably going to be listening to the show, but like, was that just magic? Where did you get that mindset? Is it your upbringing? Like, where did that come from? I don't know, man. I mean, I've always, I've just always been pretty intentional. Yeah. I think it's probably my personality type. I'm always searching for answers, right? Like I'm the type of personality who's like, what is the meaning of life? Right. There are other personalities who are like, I would never ponder those questions. Right. <laughs> um, so I just recognize my personality type. Luckily I have the personality that has allowed me to persevere through some of these challenges. I wish I knew how to articulate it better, but That's good. Cause I mean, you had the foresight to even think about branding on your resume, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. And no matter what people say, it matters. When Google is on my resume, so many doors open and I hate to say it, but it's just true. It's true. So like, if that's your goal, like you were smart enough to realize like you needed that large brand on your resume to really unlock yourself. Yeah. But it is kind of fascinating. You think about like the journey of entrepreneurship and the journey of corporate has been really interesting, like starting the entrepreneur world and being in corporate now and just knowing both of those situations. Like when you're an entrepreneur, even if you have a multi-million dollar company, you actually don't wind up making that much money. And there's a misperception or misconception out there that you just make a lot of money. The industry average net profit across all industries average across any industry combined is about 6.8%. So you think about it. If you have a $2 million company, you have a $1 million company, $68,000 is the net profit of the company. Like, damn, that's small, right? What does the CEO make? 60, 50,000. The average entrepreneur makes 50 to $60,000, right? These are the realities of entrepreneurship. And so the point that I wanted to make here is that it's very hard to escape the velocity needed to find financial freedom. If you do it in in the entrepreneurial world, I'm always looking at the odds. Everything is odds for me. Entrepreneurial world, what is the average entrepreneur making? $60,000. Those are not good odds for me. What is the average senior PM making at Facebook? $400,000. I'm taking that odd. Right. I'm taking that all day long. You're you're a smart man. Because because it's an easy decision. It's an easy decision because I want to escape the velocity, dude. And it is so hard to escape the velocity. Like dual income earners scraping by, making $50,000 a piece and their nest egg. What can I save? Like there's no way to escape unless you have a lever where you get some cash with like a tech stock. At least the way I've found it's been incredibly difficult. Yeah, I think that we're seeing that a lot. I mean, luckily enough, we're in the Bay Area, right? So I think we're privileged that have a tech job. But for a lot of people out there, you're just getting by. You know, if you don't have that huge income, like what do you do? And Lee, you talk a lot about saving, but it's like, what are you saving if you're making 50K a year in the Bay Area? Dude, yeah. Yeah. Or you're investing in micro shares of Tesla or something and you're praying for a windfall. I mean, literally you're playing the friggin' lottery, man. And there's so many YouTube channels about how to do investing. And there's so many people that are investment gurus, but I used to watch those all the time. How am I going to figure out this reality that I'm in with Best Buy? Like my best case scenario here is making an assistant manager in two years and maybe, maybe getting to GM, general manager of a store 
making 120 grand a year, that's $5,600 a month, bro. That's not getting me anywhere in life. They always talk about things that you can do to invest and build your nest egg. When I was looking them all up and I'm like, dude, I found at least you can't really make money without having money. It's really damn hard. True, true, true. So let's go to the average kid that's just graduated school. Maybe they're fresh out of school. They're probably getting these jobs that offer them anywhere from 40 to 60K. Nope. Might work in some areas, of the United States, definitely not going to work in the Bay Area. But maybe they're figuring, like, what can I do to land that huge role that gets a salary like John got? So yeah. I can really get ahead because yeah. let's be honest, like if you're only making 60 to 80,000, you're just treading water, especially in a place in the Bay Area. So how oh, do you yeah. land that big job that's going to give you that income that you need, not for the happiness, but for the financial freedom? Yeah. I mean, there are, and where I lost my train of thought was on the education topic is the MBA valuable. And it comes back to that topic, right? From a PM standpoint, you got to do a work back plan and you got to say, I want to be this. You have to identify a handful of people who are in positions where you want to be. And you have to start networking with them. You have to be bold and reach out to them and say like, what is your life like? You're 10 years ahead of me. You're in the future, man. You're my future. What mm. is my future like? What are the pitfalls? And they go, hey, you know, what you really need to do is you got to get this MBA, man, because there's a game being played in the PM world. If you're an engineer, you don't need an MBA, right? You just need a tech degree and a portfolio. You've got to work back from the positions that you think are going to be positions. They're all hypotheses. You can change your, change your hypotheses over time, right? But it's mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm on levels.fyi. Great salary website. I'm seeing that a senior engineer is making north of five fifty, six dollars $600,000 at some of these top tech companies. Okay, cool. What are the backgrounds of 20 of them? Seems like they're like 20 of them, you know, 10 of them went to Cal Poly. That's fascinating. I'm going to call Cal Poly. So it's just a constant exploration, right? It's a constant poking until I have clarity on the direction I need to go. And so for anybody who's young, look, I'm making $40,000, $60,000 a year, whatever. First things first, be grateful for where you're at because $40,000 a year is 1% of the world's income. That's top, top 1% of world income earners. You're making 40 grand. So even if you're scraping wow. by and you have an apartment, you're like, okay, perspective. I have lights. I don't sleep on the ground. I don't sleep in the dirt. I have clean water baseline level of gratitude every single day for just being there in the first place. Now, separating that for a moment, putting it over here in this bucket, right? Because we're talking about buckets. Next bucket, strategy. My time is worth a massive amount to me. We have a finite number of days. How do I get paid? Strategy, work back plan, 20 people, call them up, be bold. You're super young. People love helping young people. Call the friggin' VP of finance if you're a finance major at Amazon. Ask him for a meeting. Ask her for a meeting, right? What's your life like? You're 15 years ahead of me. Tell me. Well, actually, you know, John, it, I really struggle. Life's ups and downs, right? Here's the reality of my role or some nugget. Catalog those nuggets, man. I like that. I like going to the person that you want to be like or the person that's already done that path that you're trying to go to. I think yeah. we interviewed Jose Benitez Kong. And one thing that he said on our podcast was go work for your heroes if you can. But the next best thing to that is picking the brain of someone that's accomplished where you want to go. Yeah. And reading, dude, I read yeah. hundreds of books. Those are my virtual mentors. I don't have mentors. And I actually feel like mentors are a waste of time in a lot of ways because a physical interaction with a mentor 
is going to be an hour and it's pleasantries and it's what have you, right? Whereas a book is somebody's three years that they packaged up into five hours. I'm going to take that all day long over a one hour conversation that has pleasantries and what have you, and maybe one nugget. I'm reading the whole book in five hours and I'm getting tons of nuggets. I'm taking notes. That's why I read so much too, because I'm learning perspectives of people who have come before me. Yeah. You know, you talked about maximizing earning potential. Yeah. And you got some late breaking news, right? So you're pivoting, you're leaving Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. Is that breaking news on the free retiree show? Breaking news on the free retiree show, gentlemen. (laughs) And you're going to SoFi. Yes, sir. Talk to us a little bit about the why behind that. And then also it's like preaching in the choir for me. I was like, the way you get the biggest raises is by switching companies. You got not getting that one or 2% increase every year. So Mm -hmm. would love just to get your thoughts on both of those. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for dropping that. Yeah. I'm really excited about SoFi. There's only about 1500 employees, whereas Amazon has hundreds of thousands, right? So I'm hoping that going into that organization, there's going to be less politics, more room to really think huge about our customer base and be not handcuffed to some of the foundational things at Amazon that make us have to move slow. Marketplace has been around for 20 years. Like that's just the nature of corporate. When an infrastructure has been around for a long time, it's the information superhighway. It's very hard to steer the ship. So anyway, it should be interesting. But like you said, right? One or 2% raises every year. I'm looking at the numbers. I'm always looking at the numbers. I'm always looking at the strategy. The numbers for me to get to L7 at Amazon, it might take me a year. What's, uh, I'm sorry, L7? Levels. Levels, yeah. levels. That's like principal product manager versus senior product manager. Thanks for clarifying. And so I think, okay, so if I tell my manager at Amazon that I want to get promoted to L7, first, they're going to dump a shitload of work on me, right? I'm going to work 10X harder and I'm not going to get paid anymore. So my time value of money plummets. Now I'm slaving away. No guarantee of promo whatsoever. And the stars have to align. So I'm thinking, okay, looking ahead. Who above me do I have to convince about promo? Who around me do I have to convince about promo? What initiatives do I need to drive? And if I get to that level, am I going to make 15% more, 20% more? Okay. So on paper, 20% more back of the napkin. Okay. Make an external move. I make 40% more, 50% more. I'm taking that deal. I'm taking that deal all day long. So it's just really strategic. And you know, you spend two years or three years at a company And you always got to be pressure testing your value in the market. Now, your value in the market from a game perspective, they're going to associate a monetary value. You are always worth infinitely more. So those are two separate things, but they're going to assign a value to your head for when you're interviewing. And I just play the numbers, man, because I want another stock package. And what's fascinating about Amazon, you know, yeah, I mean, why not? Right. I mean, any, honestly, anybody who's been play at Amazon, you gotta play the game. If you've been at Amazon for like six years, that is a bad strategic decision. It is a terrible strategic decision because time value of money. I move somewhere else. I get a new package. Why would anyone stay at Amazon more than four years? It makes no sense. Because what happens at Amazon too, is we call it the cliff. So after four years, they give me a certain amount of shares that vest year one, 5% of my shares vest year one, 15% year two, 40% year three, 40% year four, and then I'm tapped out. And then they trickle me. There's a hook. They try to hook me by trickling out shares and it just doesn't make sense anymore. You got to get that big stock package somewhere and be playing a game where... 
you hypothesize that that company is going to grow. Like I look at SoFi and I go, okay, they are really new in the game. They are trying to grow like crazy. They have a pretty good impression in the market. FinTech is growing like crazy. You look at their three-year projection and some of the articles around their stock price projections. And I go, all right, cool. I'll take it. It just makes more sense. Yeah. I'm still a little bit depressed about leaving Amazon. Just the environment wasn't right for me. It wasn't oh, sustainable, yeah. Yeah. but damn dude, when I got in, the shares were only 850 and I was just thinking if I would have stayed four years, it'd be a lot of money right now. 2017? 2017. Yeah, that's when I joined. I worked on Echo Frames. Do you remember that launch? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So I led the beta program for that. It was a cool product, just terrible yeah. leadership. That makes or breaks, right? People always talk about like company culture and I don't think there's any such thing as company culture. I think it's your manager, man. That money would be nice though. That money be- <laughs> uh, dude, ch- I mean, it did change my life. You know, it really did. John, one thing I really like what you brought up and I don't think we've ever really brought it up on this show yeah. is you said that if you're staying there for, you know, seven years, you're losing money. And I don't think yeah. anyone understands that. Yeah. yeah I yeah. mean, we have people that have this mindset that, oh, you stay at the company for as long as you can because that's going to look bad on your resume if you're bouncing around. And that's a story that's out there. But from everything that I've seen, the people that really move up in their careers and able to boost that salary super fast are people like you. They create their value within a short time frame and they say, all right, company number two, if you want Mm -hmm. a piece of John Marty, you're going to have to pay for John Marty. (laughs) And so- but that's the way it's done. You know, and it's funny. It brings me back to some things with my family. My dad, he was a very successful CEO for like a small level ag company, right? And his mindset was always stay at a company for a really long time. So he was at companies for decades yeah. and he did well. He had upper middle class salary, wasn't huge, but he did well. And he was a CEO for a small company. His brother, my uncle, really bright guy, really successful. And he would always say, oh, you know, Uncle Terry, he's jumping around from job A to job B. But you know, Uncle Terry was getting to VP level, CEO level, Tandem and HP, and was CEO, I think of Tandem and Rockwell. Mm -hmm. But he did it by creating, I think, his value. My dad would always say this, that he created his value and he would jump at opportunities rather frequently. So I think that's Mm -hmm. a really great thing that you're doing that most people don't realize is like you can be a detriment to yourself by staying in the same place and being comfortable with that 2% package they're going to give you, that 2% bump. Yeah, it doesn't even cover the rate of inflation, right? Exactly. (laughs) No, it's just like a slap in the face in the Bay Area. Yeah, here's 2% rate. Oh, but like, what about inflation? Oh, like, that's not a thing. Oh, okay. Uh, We won't talk about that. But yeah, it's crazy. I know why more people don't do it because it's comfortable. Right. Like I've been on the same team at Amazon for two years. I know brainlessly what is going to happen in every meeting. I can be a robot. I don't need to think in a lot of meetings. And so people get really comfortable with that. They have their script, they know what to expect in every sit and setting. And it's really hard to go through the interview process. It is a struggle for anybody because you got to kickstart this way of thinking, which is so backwards from your day-to-day life, the type of questions that they ask you, all the edge case scenarios you have to consider, and we don't practice it. So it's super uncomfortable. You've done a great job of reinventing yourself when you're at your lowest low, You know, when yeah. you had your time at Best Buy, you had the tenacity to go back to school, work on software development, and made yourself a more attractive candidate, built up that LinkedIn resume that made you even more attractive. What do you do 
now that you've got to this point, do you still hunt for jobs? Do you still find that it's good for you to keep looking for the next opportunity or do you let the next opportunity come to you? Yeah, that's the point right there. See, like the personal brand on LinkedIn and through YouTube, I let the opportunities come to me, right? Because I consider myself a social media marketing company of one. I make a concerted effort to be very visible all of the time because once again, it's odds play. The odds of somebody reaching out for a speaking gig for 10 grand, much higher if I put myself out there. The odds of somebody paying me a couple hundred dollars an hour for coaching on the side, very high, right? The odds of increasing my financial freedom, much higher probability when I put myself out into the world, because you never know what kind of collaborations are going to come your way, man. You never know. And that's the most exciting part for me. It's this total unknown in the world that like, I love it, dude. I get hit up all the time on LinkedIn for like crazy things and none of that stuff would happen. And Amazon wouldn't have happened, right? So that was the start of it for me where I was like, holy shit, if I put myself out there, if Amazon can come to me, like what other opportunities can come to me? So for like the average individual, right? Yeah. Well, let's go back to the kid, the person that's graduating school. What do they do to build their brand? They feel like, well, you know, I went to school. Maybe I had this job at some restaurant. I mean, how do I be like John and build up a brand? Like, where do I even start? Can I? Am I qualified enough? A lot of people think that they got to be an expert to start something. So it's a, when I'm successful, then I can start posting content. That's not the right mentality. The mentality is I'm going to start at the bottom and I'm going to leave my ego at the door and I'm going to show that I don't know what I don't know. And I'm going to just start. My video is going to be shitty and my microphone is going to be shitty and I'm going to stumble on camera and it's going to take me 15 hours to film a five minute video because of ego and everything, but I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it out. That's the mentality. I'm going to figure it out. And then five years from now, I'm going to be a pro. So start at the bottom because people are afraid of being perceived as starting at the bottom. Hmm. Yes, totally true. Yeah, that's true. There's a perception of being at the bottom because once I have a job title, then clawing back the ego of like, I'm going to learn how to ski or learn how to surf. I don't want to look like an idiot. I don't care about looking like an idiot. I want to look like an idiot. Okay. Because that's what makes me grow constantly. So for any young person that's thinking about creating a brand or what it does for them, like Creating a personal brand is going to change your life. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how many followers you have because what it does is it allows you to clarify your own thinking. And that is the value, not the followers, not the likes, not any of the vanity metrics. The value is clarifying your thought, becoming a better speaker. That is the value, right? So I started the social media journey with one thing in mind. I was like, I'm going to become a better speaker. I'm going to become a better writer. I'm going to clarify my thinking and I'm going to help other people. No thought whatsoever to how do I strategize growing a following? How do I get likes or comments or shares? That wasn't even on my radar. And I think I grew because I wasn't even thinking about that stuff. A young person has to look at it and say, I'm on an exploratory journey. I studied accounting, but you know what shit? I don't really like accounting. My dad wanted me to do accounting, right? Not my dad. I'm just saying like hypothetically. And I just don't feel it. Okay, so what do you feel? Write it down. I feel like creating a blog about skateboarding. All right, hmm. crazy. Do that. Like create a YouTube channel about skateboarding. And you know what? After a while, you're like, actually, it wasn't skateboarding. It was like this thing. And so it's a constant tweaking, A-B testing. And then you find the thing. Because the way you find the thing is by looking at all your content over a three to five year period. It's a long game. 
three to five years, you look at it and you go, it's really fascinating for me that I'm talking about this topic of meaningful life and happiness a lot. That is becoming my brand. Was it when I started? No, it wasn't. But now I'm having more and more conviction because every time I gravitate towards a topic, why do I do that? Well, it's deeply meaningful for me to talk about that mm-hmm. versus other things. So it's just a recognition, it's awareness, it's a conscious awareness. And the student gets wrapped up into, I need the career path. And my personal brand needs to be around my career path because that's going to lead me to opportunities. The reality is you need to think about the topics that don't fatigue you and the topics that excite you. You got to go towards those because you don't want your personal brand in five years to be the accounting guru when you hate accounting. You Mm -hmm. want it to be something that's authentic to who you are, but people don't even know who they are because they don't spend any time on the discovery of self in the first place. We spend 1800 hours a year in our careers, but how many hours a year do we spend on any kind of self-reflection whatsoever? Very little. There's very little clarity. You're like a ship without a rudder. You're just kind of floating out in the ocean. You're like, well, let's see if I get a promotion at this company that I'm at. Not like, can I make more money at another organization? Maybe Mm -hmm. I'm going to go there. Love that. You mentioned skateboarding. So I've heard you've built a half pipe. Yeah. Yeah. I built a half pipe in the backyard. You're just a construction guy too. You got all the tricks up your sleeve, man. Talk to us about that. I just figured it out, man. Yeah. Just just YouTubed it. Yeah. I just YouTubed it. I mapped it out on paper. I went to Home Depot, got all the products. I never done anything in construction, but I just figured it out. How long have you been skateboarding for? About a year and a half. How does it feel when you fall? <laughs> it doesn't feel good. <laughs> I was just thinking about when I read your bio, I was like, he skateboards? I mean, dude, yeah. like, you know, I'm 36 now. And if I fall, yeah. like, I don't know, it it'd be hurts. disastrous for me. Like, I fall off some steps. So if I need to put like a clause in your contract, yeah, yeah. you get I injured. Know. Cannot skateboard. I know, I know. But my kid started about a year and a half ago when we were in Seattle. He took a real liking to it. And I wanted to foster it for him because I think about school, what we learn in school is skills-based. We don't learn how to overcome fear and we don't learn how to persevere. School is not perseverance. School is task management. I mean, there's a little bit of perseverance, what have you, right? Making it through. But when you learn how to skateboard or you learn some kind of new sport, I think it teaches you more about life than anything else can ever teach you because first you realize how many times you have to fall to get good, how you have to suppress your ego. What's interesting about a lot of skateboarders and why I love skateboarding so much, even though I just started a year and a half ago, is that when I watch people skateboarding, you see them falling over and over and over again. You see them trying to do a rail slide like hundreds of times, dude. And like getting that muscle memory and like realizing that like falling hurts, but you just got to keep getting up. It's like the biggest life lesson you could ever teach somebody is getting good at a sport of some kind. Cause you could always look back at that and say, wow, okay. So anything I do in life is going to take me falling thousands of times. Maybe it's mentally falling, right? Not physically, but skateboarding is both physically and mentally. So I love it. Yeah. I've got an eight-year-old and I think that's something we've struggled with is I think their first instinct is to just give up when something's hard. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I think right. we can relate that back to our show pillars, Lee. It's like this career stuff is tough. Yeah. Rejection is tough. Tough. But how do you bounce back? Yeah, man. Speaking and- about the bounce back, man, you had this multi million dollar company when you started. Then you're working at Best Buy. 
Now you're doing the corporate route. You're building yourself up. But deep down in there, I could tell John by talking to you, that entrepreneur is still in there. I, I, I see it, buddy. <laughs> tell us about that, man. We're talking about this bounce back, but yeah, yeah. I can see you doing something entrepreneurial in the near-term future. Like, How do you feel about going back that route, especially after having such a devastating fall? <laughs> yeah, I don't fear the fall anymore like I used to. When I think about next steps for me, I think about a couple of different buckets. It, once again, it's like very strategic. Like I'm always thinking strategy. So like strategy number one, land at SoFi. SoFi doesn't have my handcuffs when it comes to social media. They're allowing me to pursue my brand alongside their brand. So I can keep making money. I can ramp up, right? I can pursue my external projects that bring me a lot of fulfillment and money and my day job and bucketize all of that into real estate and savings and nest egg and security for the fam. It accelerates my financial freedom by pursuing one bucket of the speaking engagements, the courses, right? I do courses for breaking in tech. And a lot of it comes down to mindset. Ultimately, there's tactical things like LinkedIn profile and things like that, that'll help you. But a lot of it's mindset. So I do that. That's great income. And I'm trying to create multiple streams of income the real estate, the courses, the speaking, the coaching, the book. Because I had a book that I was going to release with Amazon about breaking into tech. I couldn't release it. They wouldn't let me. Wow. So wow. I said, okay, all right, fine, fine. Like you've really handcuffed me. No problem. No problem. How so, long ago did they handcuff you from releasing your book? It was about a year ago. I assume you can now. Oh, I can do whatever now, right? You can do whatever you want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah, no, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I'm not chained to that anymore. So yeah, man, like that's next, right? Like those buckets of income, because what I really want to do, I want to get to a point where in the next two, three, four years, right? Like I'll put in hard work at SoFi. Mm -hmm. I'll work hard and we'll see if that stock grows, right? Taking a bet there. And with the multiple streams of income, get to a point where my coaching and what have you can really sustain itself, right? Like I have a number in mind of what that coaching business could be from a monthly revenue perspective. I pressure tested it numerous times. So I kind of know where it could be. And then on the side, really as a full-time driver for me, I want to pursue project 1B. So project 1B is the camps for students to learn these topics that we don't get taught in school. Because that for me is the thing that brings me the most fulfillment, dude. Like there's no amount of money that could ever replace the light bulb that I see going off with young individuals who are like, damn, I'm like waking up from the matrix. And that's what I want for people. Play the game, but wake up. Love it. Yeah, great job, man. It's so nice to hear that you're doing all those. You're going to get back up on that skateboard, basically. Dude, you know, get, get, get back up on it, man. From that fall in 2012. I know yeah. it. You're going to come yeah. back and you're coming back even stronger. And I'm skateboarding, even though I broke my back in multiple places 20 <laughs> years ago. Oh. You're a beast. Wow. Wait, broke your back 12 years ago? I broke it 20 years ago. I broke my back in two places 20 years ago. Doing what? Skiing. Wow. Resilience. Good stuff. How can people find out more about the courses that you teach and the public speaking that you do? Yeah, 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 man. A lot of the things are posted on my website, John Raphael Marty. You can look up John Marty on Google. I pop up so we can put that in the show notes. A lot of stuff I post on LinkedIn. Everything in the about section is there and updated as well. And my YouTube channel, John Marty. Those are the three primary things. Like my course is called Breaking a Big Tech. It's five, six weeks roughly that breaks down everything from like LinkedIn profile to resume to interview strategy to mindset. And it's group related. 
So I get everybody into like a real big community because like one person in that group who gets to Facebook can bring the others along. That's the key, right? Like everybody's got to work together because it's a networking thing as well. Relationships matter so much. So I try to foster that relationship a lot in that forum. Thank you so much for coming on, man. A lot of great wisdom. To close it out, going back to this conversation about how we live more fulfilling lives and how money doesn't define us. Yeah. What would you tell the folks that are struggling trying to find that fulfillment in their life? And especially right now, I've noticed it more during COVID that people are more depressed, more empty inside. Yeah. They do their jobs. They might get paid well, but they're still empty, like emptiness. You've been able to find that passion, that fulfillment that so yeah. many of us are struggling to find. But how would you tell the people that are looking for it? What should they do? First things first, man, passion doesn't feel like the passion that we think it's supposed to feel like. So we believe that if we find our passion, we're going to be blissful 24-7. That's not the way it works. It's curiosity and struggle. That's what it is. And I was talking to Stephen Kotler on my podcast. He's like a big thought leader in the topic of like human performance. And he said to me, I'll never forget this. He said, John, we falsely assume that passion is supposed to feel like romantic love from the ages of 18 to 25. That's not the way it feels. What it is, is a little kid shooting basketball, exploring his curiosity. That's what it is, dude. It's a little kid kicking on the skateboard for the first time. It's me as an adult dropping into a half pipe for the first time, being fucking terrified, right? That's <laughs> Which what is, it is amazing though. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what, it, that's, what, that, that's what it is. So like foundationally, when you're seeking passion and purpose, remember that it doesn't feel like what you think it's supposed to feel like. And secondly, just explore your curiosity. Be super curious about everything. Ask a million questions. Pressure test yourself all the time. Am I thinking like everybody else? And if so, remember that you gotta be thinking differently all the time. So if you just use those levers, explore the curiosity, and remember that passion doesn't feel like passion, you have a good foundation. Awesome, man. Love Great that. Stuff. Thank you. You've been listening to the Free Retiree Show. So long for now. Securities offered through Securities America Incorporated. Member FINRA, www.finra.org. SIPC, www.sipc.org, a separate entity. Lee Michael Murphy is licensed with the California Department of Insurance, license 0H18660. Lee Michael Murphy is a investment advisor representative with Securities America Advisors, a registered investment advisor. The Free Retiree, Securities America Advisors, and Securities America Incorporated are separate entities. Career Advisor Sergio Patterson, Attorney Matt McElroy are not affiliated with Securities America Advisors or Securities America Incorporated. Securities America Advisors, Securities America Incorporated, and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice. Therefore, it's important to coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. The content heard in this podcast is not intended to be tax, investment, or legal advice and is intended as general guidance only. You should contact your own tax advisor, financial advisor, or attorney to answer questions about your specific situation or needs before acting upon this information. Third-party sourced information or comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. A portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of career advisor Sergio Patterson do not reflect the opinions of Facebook Inc. The opinions of attorney Matt McGorry do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and company.